doing life together. That is our vision for Bethel, and a fitting one for us to live into as a faith community, doing life together. When you hear that phrase or that vision, hopefully it it captures your imagination to think about how we can be God's people here together. How can we walk with each other, both in times of triumph and blessings, as well as those opportunities that we go through in life that are harder, that are struggles, that we can pray with each other, for each other. We can have fun together. We can laugh. We can enjoy meals, uh, and we can build a real sense of connection amongst one another as followers of Jesus. I think Christian community in so many ways is needed today because many of the ways in which in past generations people made connections just don't work anymore. We're very individual focused and some of those social groups that may have been prevalent um, just aren't there anymore. And so the church is one place, not the only place, but a key place where we can come together amidst all kinds of differences and find in each other a shared humanity and a shared faith. Doing life together. When we invite each other into our, into our lives, and we do that in a way that's beyond just superficial, it involves vulnerability. Can I really open my heart and share with you what's really going on in my life? And will I be there for you? And when we're truly vulnerable, then those relationships can be strengthened and deepened in a way that can be life-changing. But when we let people into our lives and we're vulnerable with them, we also put ourselves in that position where we can become hurt. There's no way that a group of people who are fallible human beings, If you're infallible, please stand up. I'm going to sit. We're all imperfect. So if we're living and doing life together, as Jesus calls us to, to be part of the church, inevitably there's going to come conflict. There's going to be feelings that are hurt. There's going to be mistakes that are made. And how do we resolve those? Our gospel reading, and in fact the entire chapter of Matthew 18 is all about how do we resolve conflict and and disagreements in the church. What we heard just now in Matthew 18 is really a process of reconciliation. And we're going to talk about the difference between reconciliation and forgiveness and, and certainly where they overlap. But reconciliation, what you see in in this text, it says, if another member of the church sins against you. So the first thing I would say about doing life together is it's more than just an interaction between two people. It's how does an interaction between two people affect an entire congregation? If we have two members of our church that are in in a fight, it's not just about them. It's about all of us. If we're doing this life together in the right way, everything involves the group. So it says, if a member sins against you, and then he lays out a a step-by-step process of how to reconcile, 
and we'll get to that in detail in a moment. But I want you to think about, about your own life. And just by general show of hands, how many of you have ever had someone do something mean to you? They've said something mean to you. They've done something to you. How many of you have ever um, had someone make a mistake that cost you? Okay. So we all kind of know a universal experience of having something negative happen to us by someone else. Sometimes it's an overt act. Sometimes it's a sin of omission. But we all know what that's like. And I'd like to postulate that the normal response when someone does something to us are two things. Number one, where's Jocelyn? She talk, we talked about this last week. We hold a grudge, right? She told me, she, she, I, and I said, I think you can work on that. Uh, how many of you have ever held a grudge before? Someone does something to you, and instead of fixing it, you, you say, this person did something to me, and I'm never going to forgive them. I'm never going to forget it, and I'm going to hold on to this. And in fact, what will happen is not only will I not trust them again, but I might have trouble trusting someone else again. That's holding a grudge. Now, why do we do this? Sometimes I think we'd rather be right than work on the relationship. Because if I can hold on to my hurt and say they're bad and I'm good, and I never work it out, then I always sort of have that as a, I won't say badge of honor because that's not quite right. So number one, we, we hold a grudge. What's the second thing that we tend to do? instead of talking to the person. We talk to everybody else, right? We try to tell all of our friends. So we hold, you know, can hold a grudge and not talk to anybody. Or you could say, I'm going to talk to all my other friends and tell them my story and win them to my side. And now I might feel better because they're on my side. But instead of having the problem with one person now, the person that's wronged me has a whole gang of people who are upset with them. Now, there's a fancy word for when you talk about someone and get people to your side and gang them up. It's triangulation. So we work to triangulate against another person to take our side. And what happens, of course, in a big conflict uh, is each side does that. And now you have factions. And you can see how this could play out in a church, right? It's gossip, it's factions, it's schisms. And in fact, the, if you look at the entire history of the Christian church, there's been lots of factions and schisms and entire denominations were born out of them and then broken apart subsequently. So when Jesus says, if you have a conflict in the church, you need to work it out. You need to address it. And so he lays out, because the cost of holding a grudge harms you, and the cost of Talking about it with someone else creates an even deeper division. And you can see this play out in churches and in families in all kinds of ways where something small, a small conflict, when you don't deal with it, all of a sudden it becomes something big. And you can actually see this in families sometimes where there's decades that go by and neither side can remember why they're mad. They just know that the other person is wrong. Amen? It's tough stuff. So what does Jesus say to do? If someone has hurt you, you basically have two choices, according to Jesus. 
and holding a grudge and telling other people is not on the list. You have two choices. You can be like Elsa and let it go, or you talk to them. And so it forces us immediately into this position where I have to decide, you've hurt me, can I let it slide? Because that should be step one, let it go. Is it worth holding on to? Is it worth having that relationship, uh, having that confrontation? Because if you can let it go and still be in relationship with that person, that's, that's a wonderful path to choose. But if you've hurt me and I can't look at your face or I can't hear your name and not get somehow triggered and be angry and resentful towards you, then Jesus says you have to talk to them. And you take them one-on-one. You don't talk to anybody else about it. You go directly to the person. Does that sound easy or hard? It's very hard. It's very hard to do. But if you do that, my experience, if someone has come to me and said, you hurt my feelings, or when you did this, I was hurt. When that's happened to me, I don't think there's ever been a time where I didn't apologize and try to make things right. Most of the time, 95% of the time, if you actually tell someone that's, that something is weighing on their heart and they've done something to you, that relationship is going to be restored. They'll probably apologize. You'll accept their apology, and you can move forward with a fresh start. It's amazing the difference that that can make. And in fact, probably because you're being vulnerable when you tell someone that they've hurt you, that's a really hard thing to do, to open yourself up in that way. That relationship not only will be restored, I bet it will be stronger than ever. Here's another thing that I know for sure. I don't know the percentage of this, but there's a good portion. I don't maybe half the time the person that you tell this to won't even know you they that you were hurt by them. We do stuff to hurt people all the time and we don't even know it. Sometimes letting them know is a step and and you'll be amazed the difference that that can make. So Jesus lays us out and he says, this is, this is good for our personal life, but he said, in your life together as the church, don't allow conflict to fester and grow. Don't allow factions to, to take hold and root in the church. If there's something you need to talk about, then talk about it. Because the cost of not dealing with it is way too high, and God's plan for the church is so important that we need as much unity and togetherness as possible. So as we're vulnerable, as we're doing life together, there will come those times where we step on each other, where we make mistakes, we say and do the wrong thing. And you might be on the giving or receiving end of it. And so Jesus says, talk to the person, share your feelings, and if they listen to you, you regain that one. And then he says, well, if that doesn't work, bring two or three people with you. And they can be witnesses. They're not fact finders. They're not there as your prosecuting attorney. They're not there to take your side. They're just there to make sure that everyone's words are heard. And if they listen, great. 
If not, take it to the whole church. Now, this is when it gets a little harsh. It says, take it to the whole church, and if they're still unrepentant, let them be a, like a tax collector or a Gentile. In other words, they get expelled from the church. Now, if you didn't know, by the way, Matthew 18, this entire process is actually in our ELCA constitution. Every congregation in the ELCA has a, has a provision under called church discipline. And it lays out a process exactly like we've just talked about, following Jesus' exact pattern. That if there's a, someone in the church who's being a bully, there's someone whose behaviors are so out of bounds that they need to be called out on it, and even when they're called out, they refuse to acknowledge and won't change, then there needs to be a boundary of behavior. So I was thinking about back to school, because in Michigan, where we're from and where Kelly taught for 20 years, they, by law, have to start school after Labor Day. So I know that's crazy for y'all California people. But we saw all the back-to-school pictures on Facebook this week. And I was talking to Kelly about our text today. And she said, well, yeah, every school year, as a teacher, the first day, we go over the rules of what behaviors are allowed and what's not allowed. And there are some things that if you allowed them and didn't, call it out or try to stop it, you would have absolute pandemonium and chaos. That's true in a classroom and it's true in a church. It's true in a country. So the rules in the church are, there are certain, like we have to treat each other with love and respect. Doesn't mean we always have to agree on everything, but how we disagree needs to be agreeable. And if someone in, in the face of that refuses, then maybe they can't be part of this thing that we're doing together in God's name. Now, it doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It just means they're not fit to be part of the Christian community. Now, that might seem a little harsh. So that's reconciliation. It's how relationships that are broken get restored, both individually and as a, as a church. The second thing that Jesus talks about is forgiveness. And here's something I really want to underline for us as a church, but individually as well. It's possible to forgive someone and not be in relationship with them. There are some people whose behaviors or actions are out of bounds, and if you let them back in, they're just going to repeat the same offense. And so Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive? So if someone is an unrepentant offender, Jesus is saying, maybe they shouldn't be part of the church. But he says, you have to forgive them. He says, well, seven times? And he goes, no, 70 times seven. Or 77 times. This is a perfect number and it's infinite. So we, we are called as people of faith to forgive, which I would just simply say to forgive someone is to let go of your pain. To relinquish control of that hurt, to give it to God and to let it go. It may not be mean that you are friends again. That's reconciliation. Certainly, uh, there's a Venn diagram here. So it's possible uh, to forgive someone and not be reconciled. I'm not sure it's possible to be reconciled but not forgive someone, if that makes sense. So 70 times 7 times. So here's, here's a little... Um, 
I find this insightful anyway. When Peter says, how many times do I have to do it? If you have to count, you haven't really forgiven. So here's maybe something for married couples to think about. If the new offense brings your list out, like you did something today and then your spouse goes, well, let me remind you of the 20 things over the last 40 years that you've done. That's not really forgiveness. For if you have to count, it's not really forgiveness. Forgiveness means you let it go and you start fresh. And that's how God is with us. God forgives us through Christ's death and resurrection. God no longer remembers our sin. God forgives us and we get a blank slate. Forgiveness means letting it go and hopefully restoring the relationship. But if not, we let it go because we don't want that thing that's happened to us to have any power emotionally or spiritually in our life. And it's a powerful call to resolve our differences, to move ahead in a way that both acknowledges that we are doing something as a church that's so important to God's work in the world, and we want as many people involved as that as possible. And as broken and sinful as we can be, there's a process to making those relationships whole again and to let go of our pain and our hurt and to give it to God and to move forward fresh. It's high and holy work. And as we do life together at Bethel, I hope we can uh, instill these values into our community and live together in a way that pleases God. Amen.